This is the Concealed Carry Podcast, episode number 274. And welcome to the Concealed Carry Podcast, part of the ConcealedCarry.com network. I am your host, Riley Bowman. Today, joined by Mr. Arik Levy of the Firearms Nation and Firearms Nation Podcast. What is up, dog? Not that you're a dog. Just... <laughs> Are you talking to me? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm doing good. Uh, uh, got no fleas. I had a good vet visit. And uh, now, all serious aside, uh, it's... <laughs> Our first real day of uh, winter here in Florida, the temperature actually dropped to the high 60s. So, ouch. We're anticipating the, the shovels out. Actually, you know, it is Florida. It is Broward County. Need I say any more? Yeah, you're kind of right in the thick of it, aren't you? With like, everything, I am in the thick of it. Everything going on with uh, the votes, uh, the counting. I guess that all had to be submitted yesterday by what, like two o'clock or three o'clock or something. And, and uh, it looks like you're going to have, what is it, Governor DeSantis yep. and Senator Scott. It's looking that way still. It is looking that way. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, interesting stuff going on always in Florida. Now, Arik is a, uh, you're a law enforcement officer, right? I am. Yeah. That's, that's your, that's your day gig or night gig. I don't know what shifts you're on, but. I, I, I. It's my day gig. Day gig. Uh, I've been at it for a while, so once you've established that you're, you know, you're here for a while, you get seniority and you get to pick better shifts and whatnot. Uh, that always helps. Yeah. And and I did the night thing, and I prefer days. I bet you do. Yeah. Very good. Very good. Well, folks, uh, we'll get into things here with Arik in just a moment. Today, we're going to be talking with him about talking with the world's best shooters because he's done a lot of that the last couple of years. Uh, he started uh, a couple of years ago, Firearms Nation in the Firearms Nation podcast, where he interviews a lot of the top shooters there. He does the Shooter's Summit, uh, which is really cool. I was on Shooter's Summit last year, and uh, some of you probably checked in and saw saw that. You know, and I, I know any of you that checked in and, and viewed that, I know you enjoyed it, and I know you learned stuff from the Shooter's Summit. So we're going to be talking about uh, his upcoming Shooter's Summit, maybe preview who's going to be on it, and, uh, but really, I really, I'm really curious, you know, Arik, what I've learned in doing the Concealed Carry podcast is talking with a lot of, I mean, I, this is not really an interview show per se. Uh, like some, a lot of podcasts are, you know, Hey, this week we're talking with so-and-so next week, so-and-so, you know, here we we're a little bit of a different show, uh, where that's concerned, but we do have a number of guests on and what I've learned in talking with folks, you know, whether it's Mike Seeklander or or uh, Rob Latham, or you, you know, you, you learn these things and you see trends and, and similarities and contrasts as well. And I know that's a lot of valuable information and knowledge uh, as you, you know, conduct those interviews. So I'm looking forward to getting into it with you, buddy. I like that you uh, included me with Mike Seeklander and Rob Latham. That's always good company. So thank you for you, that. That you made betcha. my day. Good, good. <laughs> so... Uh, first, though, today's episode is brought to you by Guardian Nation, which is our own Guardian Nation thing. Uh, Arik's got Firearms Nation, which is cool. You should check that out, too. But uh, what I want to tell folks is that we do our annual Black Friday sale coming up next week. Uh, it launches midnight Thanksgiving night. Uh, at uh, So it's midnight Eastern time. 
All right, to be specific. So it's actually 10 p.m. Mountain Time, 9 p.m. Pacific Time. So that's when it goes live, and that's when the doorbusters start flying off the shelves. And this year, we've got some great products. We've got uh, an Olight PL2 uh, mini light, really cool little light, uh, weapon-mounted light. We've got this awesome backpack uh, that you can take to the range, spots for your pistols to go, spare mags, ammunition, cleaning stuff, ear pro, eye pro, whatever. So really, really cool uh, backpack for the range uh, from Allen. We've got, uh, I know I'm forgetting stuff. Uh, there's just so much of it. Uh, there's a, oh, we've got the, the new uh, Illuminator. Uh, it's basically a flashlight on steroids from Viridian. Brand new product. The point is we have several, we have a number of these products that are below cost, like in some cases by far. So hence doorbusters. Hello, get your attention. You got to go check it out. Uh, the doorbusters will go fast. And then everything else that follows is also really, really awesomely priced, marked down substantially. It's just our way of giving back to our members. So if you're not a member, consider joining because you want to join before that Black Friday sale goes live. Go to concealedcarry.com forward slash Black Friday to get all the details on the sale. And then today's podcast is also made possible by Shooter Summit. And Ark will give us a lot more detail on that in here in just a bit. But uh, Shooter Summit is awesome. I was on it last year. Uh, and, and that's like not saying really a whole lot necessarily uh, because everybody else on Shooter Summit is way cooler. And I, I, I know I learned a lot more from viewing some of the interviews that you had last year, Ark, than, than I'm sure I provided anybody else. So uh, <laughs> it was awesome. I though. don't think so. <laughs> Uh, Shootersummit.com forward slash Riley. That's a short link. Okay, so just go to Shooters Shooters Summit. And you got to spell, right? It's Shooters, plural, summit.com forward slash Riley. And uh, go go check it out. Go sign up. When does that start exactly? Well, it's actually launching on November 25th. But uh, people can go there today and they can register for it. Uh, and we'll talk all about that, how how the summit works and whatnot. But I want to say, you know, your session last year was was amazing. I mean, it was uh, really in-depth. I remember our conversation. We talked a lot about different uh, avenues of concealed carry and specifically, you know, state-to-state concealed carry and traveling with your firearms. I mean, we, we talked a lot about yeah. that. So, I mean, yeah. that provided tons of value to a lot of people. I well, won't go into I, the stats I, about how many people watched it, but uh, I don't want to do that to you. Like, who's what, this Riley guy? Brian, Skip over him. I got to go watch more Seeklander. Yeah, Seeklander was on too, <laughs> and Bronca. He had a whole uh, Cal- a Colorado crew representing. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Cool, man. No, it was a great time, and I really appreciate you having me on, and uh, really looking forward to seeing what you got coming up in this year's Shooters Summit. So that's uh, that pretty much takes us through... Uh, all the intro and sponsor stuff. So let's jump into it, Ark. Uh, now, you were on our podcast uh, last year at some point. I'm I was on the, last year to talk about the Shooter Summit last year. That would make sense. Yeah, that, it that, you know, that's like what you do, right? You know, you come on shows and you tell people what's going on. Right. Uh, episode, so folks want to go back and catch that. I'm pulling it up right now. 170 something, I want to say. One, looking, 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 looking. Um, I should have had it ready already, but I didn't think about it till now. Yeah, I'll tell you, folks, in a, in, a, in a little bit. All right, I'll find it. I'll dig it up. <laughs> it's, it's a problem when you have 274 episodes. You're like, 
Uh, I know we talked to you at some point. Uh, there it is, 182. I was closer with the 170-something. Yep, there we go. And what episode are we on now? 274. Okay. Yeah. okay. That's what you get when you do basically two episodes a week. In a year, you're going to have basically 100 episodes. Yeah. It adds up fast. <laughs> it does. That's amazing. <laughs> so episode 182, folks, if you want to go back and uh, catch the previous interview we did with Arik, if, if you didn't catch that one already... Uh, but uh, for those that may not be totally familiar with who you are, sir, give us a quick rundown on who is Arik Levy. Okay, I am a uh, Aries, and I um, no, that's not what you're talking about. Okay. <laughs> well, some folks, I, I guess, maybe wanted to know that. I don't. I don't know. Are you single or what? <laughs> uh, no, but uh, so, anyways, I, I lived ten years in California, and the first thing I'm not kidding, and it's actually L.A. First thing out of anyone's mouth is, uh, "What's your name? What's your sign? What's your name? Then what's your sign?" Because everyone in makes decisions. Yes, in Los Angeles, Los Angeles. That dude, I've uh, I've never had anybody ask me that. That's amazing. Yeah. Of course, if somebody asked me it, maybe it's possible somebody asked me that, dude, what's your sign? I'd be like, um. <laughs> don't be flashing pink symbols in Los Angeles. I don't know. Not good. Didn't you see boys in the hood? Yeah, yeah. No, uh, that's funny. I've never encountered that in, so in SoCal. Oh my God, it was all over the place. But anyways, <laughs> I digress. So anyways, uh, I've been a law enforcement officer for 15 years. Uh, uh, in that time, I had various assignments, but my uh, favorite assignment was uh, I was a firearms instructor for six of those years. And in that time, I, you know, I, I learned from the best. I mean, I, I went to tons of schools, went to tons of instructors, and uh, learned a lot about shooting, and then also got into competition at that same time. And then it kind of coalesced into this, you know, projection of where I wanted to be and what I wanted to do. And when I left that, I, I still had that uh, desire to, you know, train and learn from the best in the world. And I said, you know what, I, I'd like to share my experience with other people. And I started the podcast. Uh, well, actually, the summit was first, believe it or not. So the 2016, I, I launched a summit and I spoke to 20-some, I think it was 22 or 23, of uh, the top instructors from both the competition side and the tactical side, because that's that's my background. I do both. And uh, went, you know, went out there with it, got a tremendous response. And from that, I launched the podcast, the Firearms Nation podcast, which is is doing fantastic. I talk to people. It, it's a little bit more diverse. It's not just instructors. You know, I, I recently had David Harsani on. I don't know if you know who that he is. He, he writes for, he's an editor for The Federalist. Mm -hmm. but he's also a commentator on a lot of uh, news shows. And he wrote this book called First Freedom. And I, I suggest anybody uh, either listen to that show or go to uh, Amazon or Barnes and Noble and, and pick up that book, First Freedom. It's basically our history in the United States based on the uh, the guns, right? Our history, and if you if you look back at it, our history, all the significant events revolve around guns in a good way. Yeah. Starting from the Revolutionary War and you know the the guns that were used there and what that war was really about and what the British did. I mean, it's it's really amazing. Uh, <laughs> I like how he puts it too. Like you know, if you get a sense of someone's opinion on the Second Amendment then you'll know how they feel about the First Amendment, right? About our freedoms. Because most people who are into those freedoms are very much in protecting those freedoms. So it was a good book. It was a good podcast. 
but that's the, the whole point. You know, we, we don't talk to instructors. We, just, we talk to journalists, we talk to other podcasters. We talk to, uh, you know, mental coaches, anything that's loosely around firearms. In fact, we talked to Kazid Hansodia, Kazid Hansodia, who is the owner of Gurkha Cigars. And oh. uh, if you like cigars, uh, but cigars and ranges and shooting all kind of go together. So, I mean, that's that's the gist of the the podcast. But the summit is focused, right? So each year now, 2016, 2017, and now coming up 2018, I've uh, produced a summit, and that's where we are today. Yeah. No, it's, and it's great, man. Uh, like I said, I've watched uh, – I don't think I've watched all of the interviews you've done. There's a lot of them. That's part of the problem, right? Like you now you got – and I see if you sign up now for the uh, 2018 summit, you can add all of the 2016 and 2017 summits uh, as well. And that uh, it's a lot of content. It's an amazing amount of content. There's so many, like I'll tell you, uh, just listening to, um, boy, I'm trying to think. I mean, Juan Sik Kim, right? Like that dude is like, his mind is just fat. Like he's he's fascinating to listen to. Um you're so smart. There's, and there's a lot of other guys just like that. They're, they're just so analytical about every little thing about whether it's grip or with the trigger or how they see their sights or, or, or movement or transition. Like there's just, I mean, there's just so much detail that if, you, if you guys, if you're trying to like take your shooting to the next level and there's, there's a lot. And I'll tell you, there's definitely a lot of things that you hear and you're like, Whoa, that's over my head. <laughs> but, but you know, sometimes I go back, uh, you know, over time you pick up on more and more stuff. You learn more and more things. You learn more and more about your personal shooting. And then you go back and rewatch something or re-listen to something. I'll tell you, I've gone back and listened to old podcasts uh, with, with different, you know, different guys in the industry. And I'm like, oh, wow. Now I remember, now I actually understand what he's talking about there. And uh, so that's, there's, there's tremendous, 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 <laughs> tremendous. The words are not flowing too well today, apparently. Tremendous uh, value in in being able to do that and have access to all those different summits. So, um, oh, you wanted to say something. I could tell. Well, yeah, I was going to say. So the, the first two summits were split evenly between the tactical side and the competition side. Because like I said before, that's that's my mindset. You know, I... I tactical guy, you know, law enforcement, and then also shoot USPSA, IDPA, shooting sports. And, you know, for those of you who, who don't believe it, there is a nexus between the two. And if you shoot competition, it's going to help everything that you do. And, you know, Riley and I just talked about it again on uh, my podcast. I had Riley on and it's so true. So we don't need to belabor that point. But what I did notice though is that a lot of people, because you, you're right, there was a lot of people on the summit, especially last year, uh, I think over 30. And a lot of people got gave me feedback at the end saying, listen, you know, I really didn't have time to watch all of it, but I only watched the tactical guys because I'm not really interested in mm. competition stuff. And then likewise, the competition guys like, I don't care about that tactical stuff. I just want to know about from competition. So this year, I decided to go a different route and I made it very content specific. So this year's summit is strictly, it's the Shooter Summit, Making Grandmaster. That's the title, Making Grandmaster. Because a lot of people, especially people shooting competition, one of their goals is to make Grandmaster or to shoot at that level. And for a lot of people, that's a hard thing to do. They look at the Grandmasters and they see, 
no way I can do that. So I wanted to, to demystify that and say, listen, this is what these people do and this is how they got where they are. And a lot of them have the same kind of background. A lot of them don't, but a lot of them have the same kind of background, working class, just doing what they need to do, having a family. It's their hobby, but yet they're still able to get to that level. But on the flip side, there are some guys that are outliers, like you mentioned Juancic, right? Uh, some of these other guys who are world champions and, you know, there's a, the world champion for a single stack, actually, it's a classic division in Ipsic, Elias uh, Frangolis. Now, I was talking with him and he was telling me, well, when he started dry firing, he was putting in eight hours a day of dry fire. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, that's eight hours bit. a day. Yeah, that's, now, that's now, a lot. That can't be like, I mean, like that's, he's obviously, and I know a lot of shooters do this too, especially as they know like certain matches or big matches coming up, like they'll be like, okay, for the next week or the next two weeks or the next four weeks, you know, this is my plan. This is what I'm going to do. And for, you know, this many hours or this many days, I'm, I'm doing this. I mean, he, he's doing eight hours a day, but not like for like a month or two at a time, right? No, this is what he was doing. Yeah. For, for how yeah. long? Come on now. I. I guess till he made it world champion. I mean, that's how you make world champion. That's crazy. It is crazy. But, you know, he, he said he came from, a, a, I guess he was a soccer player and uh, either semi-pro or pro. I, I can't remember. But he was spending that kind of amount of time practicing for soccer. And he just, when he got into shooting, that's what he did. Eight hours a day, dry fire. Now, some of the other guys wow. put in some excessive amount of oh, dry sure. fire too. Sure. I was, I, you know, cause I wanted to get a sense for everybody to know, well, how much dry fire did you do when you were C class, when you were B class, how much dry fire did you do to make GM? Mm. How much dry fire are you doing now? And, you know, it changed, but when they were on their path to, to make GM, yeah, a lot of them were putting the time in. Yeah. Really a lot ramping of time that in. up. Yeah. Do, do you have a sense for like, say, uh, you know, folks uh, that may not be familiar with particularly USPSA competitive shooting, um, there's different classes of, of shooters, right? Grandmaster is the top. And I said class, right? Is that right? I'm a three-gun guy. Is it class? Yeah. It's a division. Division. Uh, no. no, division would be like open or yeah, it, production. Uh, yeah, it's classification. classification. Yeah, classification. Class. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Sorry. In three-gun, sometimes some of some of those terms get a little bit mixed up. But then they also have categories like female, uh, law enforcement, military. Right, right. So classifications in USPSA, you got Grandmaster at the top, then Master, then you have A, B, and C classes. Is there a D too? Yes. There is a D, yeah. Yes. I don't, yeah. Obviously, I don't pay attention that much. You know, so I'd be curious. I've never shot a classification. I've shot a couple of low-level USPSA matches, but never actually, um, you know, shot a classifier, for instance, and, and, and got any sort of sense and uh, I mean, I, I kind of have a sense, I think, where I'd end up. Uh, but uh, but yeah, I need to get into it probably a little bit more. I don't know. I can probably well, focus on know, my pistol shooting quite a bit. You know, I, but I, 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 de I delve into the rifle side of things, the shotgun side of things, the pistol side of things. That's what three gun is. But uh, yeah, anyway, so folks. Well, I mean, I'm say, you know, you're a rifle guy, right? Well, now in USPSA, they allow uh, pistol caliber carbine. PCC, yeah. And I spoke, I had a several of the top uh, shooters, uh, Josh Freilich and uh, mm -hmm. the guy who just won the national championship, Max uh, Leo Grandis. Leo Grandis, yeah. And wow, are they moving that gun fast. Yeah. Yeah. You know what's amazing to me is uh, 
Yeah, I mean, so, so Josh comes from the three gun side of things. Yes, he right? does, and he's going to go back into it. So watch out. Of course, of course. Uh, you know, well, I just we we shot at a match together a couple months ago uh, out here in uh, Wyoming, the Wyoming Governor's match, and uh, he, I think he was actually shooting PCC division in that. Just you know, kind of as he is preparing for the nationals. And, uh, yeah, he is really, really impressive to watch. Max also shot that same match and it, it was very similar too. I think, I think Max edged out and, and Josh was like right there as well. So really, really impressive stuff from those guys. Uh, so yeah, anyway, Grandmaster making that when you, when you're describing that and as you're describing like how much dry fire a person would, you know, maybe was doing at C class or B class or A or master and so on, do you have a sense for kind of what that looked like, like the kind of commitment level that uh, folks had at various levels? Like, do you see any sort of trends? Okay, so if I'm going to look at commonalities amongst the instructors for this year, uh, majority of them came in around B class when they first started. So they already had some skills to make B. Now, B is probably one of the hardest to get out of. There's there's a a pretty big range of, of percentage points plus you got to start doing things a little bit faster and you got to start not making mistakes when you do it. Yeah. Then, you know, so the people who are coming in at C or D class are generally, you know, more of a hobbyist and don't really practice at all. You know, they're just trying to figure stuff out. But once you make the B class, you know, then you're like, okay, I I see what I need to do. And that's when it starts to get really hard. But uh, yeah, so most of these guys came in at B class. Most of them, you know, had somewhat of a sense of how to shoot pistols. Some of them had, you know, a little bit of a law enforcement background too. And then a lot of them, it was a good, it was almost a good mix. Some of them said it's better to find someone to help you get to that journey. And so they found instruction. So they went to a teacher, they went to a coach, or maybe went to multiple teachers. Then the other half, and I would say probably more like 70%, so it's not a 50-50, 70% of them figured it out on their own without anybody helping them. Mm. So that meant they were looking, they were researching, they were videoing themselves and dedicated, you know, they were putting the time in. That's the key, putting the time in. Wow. That's actually really telling right there, I think. Mm -hmm. As far as figuring things out uh, themselves, as you say. Yeah, Mm. you know, just watching match videos, seeing what they were doing wrong. And then a, a lot of them talk about YouTube. Mm-hmm. Right, they're they're looking up what the successful guys are doing on YouTube, and then matching that. Yeah. Well, he's doing it in this amount of time. I got to do it that. He's moving this way. I got to move that way. So, in a sense, they are kind of getting coached, but yeah. they're doing it, you know, like a stalker would, mm. you know, <laughs> watching videos of them, but getting the same idea. But then also thinking, all right, in dry practice, I got to get my draw to sub one second, and that's what they would work, and they work on that for an hour or two, and just getting it down there. They go to a match, okay. When I'm coming in, I'm having a hard time, and then they work that. So again, I think you know Steve Anderson talks about a, a lot. You know, you're and Lenny Lanny Basham also. You got to figure out what your level of participation is going to be, mm-hmm. right? If, if if this just wants to be where you're going to smoke a cigar, talk to your friends once a week, hang out, shoot some your your freedom, you know, out on the range, then by by all means, that's fine. But somebody who wants to make grandmaster, somebody who wants to be competitive at matches, well, they're going to have to up your participation. You're going to have to start doing daily practice. You're going to have to start maybe taking a class or two, loading your own ammo, you know, investing in a better gun, things like that. Mm-hmm. Mm. 
And that applies for any of the shooting sports, whether it's three gun, IDPA, USPSA, NRA, all of them. Yeah. Here's uh, something I've kind of wondered about from time to time. And that is, do you have a sense for how many of these top tier shooters, they come into the sport and, and maybe they come in already at a pretty decent level, right? How many of those are coming in like in a production division and shooting production and getting really good at production and then maybe moving into limited or limited 10 or even open class or division um, versus like, are there some that you see maybe that are kind of coming in and maybe going right into open or limited, for instance? A lot of them came in through either production or limited. Right. And so if you don't know the difference, production has a cap on the amount of rounds in the magazine. It's 10 rounds limited. It's, you know, the full magazine. So it just depends on on what your ideas were. I mean, listen, production is probably the hardest division, one of the hardest divisions because of that restriction. That means you're doing a lot of magazine changes. But for, you know, everyday carry and law enforcement, whatever, where you're going to be doing magazine changes, you need to get good at that. Mm-hmm. Nothing's better than starting production. And the entry into production is really cheap. Yeah. You just need a, a, buy, buy a, a Glock with a stock gun. Right. Yeah. And go shoot. You know, the entry into open is going to cost you thousands of dollars mm-hmm. unless somebody gives you a gun. So that's the difference. Yeah. I mean, now there's carry optics, which is a good middle ground where you're going to have an optic on, you can put an optic on a stock gun. And a lot of manufacturers are building guns right out of the box, like the, the MOS for Glock or the RX series from SIG, which is what I shoot. But yeah. for getting your question, I'm sorry. The most of them came in through either production or limited. Some came in through directly into the open route. You know, that they they knew this is what they're going to do, or the single stack. You know, mm-hmm. starting with a, a 1911 and just moving on from there. Yeah, yeah. I was just kind of curious, and so it sounds like most of these you know top tier shooters are are, are kind of following the traditional route, as I would think of it. That kind of coming in one of those easier as far as like less expensive equipment uh divisions and and then getting better working at things and and then also you know starting to hop into other divisions as well along the way and the funny thing is i didn't i didn't want to pick just the world champions i picked people who were grandmasters because i think it's it can be more relatable to people right when they look at these world champions they're like that's i can't put eight hours a day into dry fire or they look at a guy who who's made gm and just shot on the super squad and came 17th at nationals yep. and he's only been a GM for a year and he has a full-time job and a wife and kids and a dog and a cat, you know, he, he's like everybody else. And so right. that was, I, I like, I wanted to get that perspective in just so people could see how they're similar, how they're different, but how they can relate to them for yeah. sure. Yeah. No, I, I like that. That's, that's great. Now explain to us exactly what does grandmaster mean? Like what's the standard for achieving that? Well, it's, it, and this is another thing I learned from some of these guys. They've been GMs for a while, you know, maybe 20 years, maybe more than that. Some of them are new. And the sense I'm getting that they're finally making it a little bit harder. Mm-hmm. Not that it's not, I mean, it's already really hard to, to make GM, but it's going to be even harder. I guess this last national championship, they put out a bunch of new classifiers. And from what some of these guys were telling me who were shooting it, that, yeah, it's it's much harder. Mm-hmm. So uh, back in the day, it was just limited and open. Those are only two divisions. And you know now we've got like six or seven divisions. So there's, there's more entry points, and that's, that's what the mm-hmm. current president for USPA, USPSA wanted. And I think IDPA is going that route too, and IPSC. To get more people in, you just offer more opportunities. Right. But the same token, they're, they're, they're pushing what GM is 
you're at the top 5% of all the shooters. Yeah. So if you look at it strictly, not at a match performance, but strictly for classification, you're shooting a classifier at 95% or 100%. And to, you're, you're doing that probably more than most people can do. So I guess yeah. it turns out to be 5% of 30-some thousand, which is it's a pretty good statistic. And the classifier stages are a stage that, I mean, they're, they're, pre, they're prescribed stages. There's dozens of them, right? And uh, you, you shoot a classifier. Everybody shoots that same classifier nationwide, shoots it the exact same way, and you take all those times and plug them into the computer, and the computer says, well, here's your top 5%. Here's your next right. 5 or 10 or whatever, right? So, you know, on down, Grandmaster, Master, A, B, C, D, and so forth. Correct. Yep. So if you if you achieve Grandmaster, uh, it's based on, you know, uh, shooting a number of cl- classifiers over a period of, well, actually, you could do them all kind of once, can't you? Yes, a lot of them did. Yeah. A lot of them, once, once they broke, they call it the hundo. Yep. Once they broke that 100%, it was easier for them to do 100% more often. Yeah. And then they, and then it like it, it it wavers, right? If you're if you're starting to bomb all these classifiers routinely over the years, it's going to drop you down to master. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the other thing too, if you know if you're interested in USPSA, I don't know if you're not, but if you're interested in USPSA or getting into it, if if you shoot against somebody who's a GM, well, the people who are uh, uh, shooting other divisions, like say you wanted to shoot limited that weekend. You're going to come in as master, even though you've never shot any classifiers there, mm-hmm. because it wouldn't really be fair to put you in D class when you're already a GM in another, because you already kind of know how to shoot at that right, point. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and you see that. I mean, like Max Michelle, for instance, right? Uh, grandmaster for a lot of years now, uh, shot open class or open division for a long time. In the last couple of years, since carry optics became a thing has been dominating carry optics like yeah it would not be fair at all to take max a guy like max who's been gm for and dominating and hit whatever division that dude shoots i swear he pretty much you know he's very very consistent jumps over to carry optics and just amazing the performance uh, level that he is he's putting out there as well so yes, max uh is definitely one of those guys i mean that's and that's that thing about the dedication again you know someone like that is putting in hours and hours of work and, you know, and he's a professional shooter. Yep. Well, there's that's not that job. many of those and that's his job. So yeah. he's putting that time in cause that's how he feeds his family. So you think about that, you know, that's how you feed your family. Wouldn't you be putting that in? Yeah. So. How many, you know, I've never actually, that's funny. I've never actually thought about it. How many shooters, you know, like competitive or professional shooters are actually feeding their families from shooting? I, I think someone, Said it. I mean, I think it's 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 less than twenty. Yeah, it's yeah. Kind, of, kind of the. I was thinking like a dozen or a few right. more than that, right? Yeah, it's one of those things where like there was this one point in my life where I thought, man, that'd be awesome to be like that's your job is just to shoot, right? Yeah, who went like that? And, and then you realize the reality is that really doesn't exist <laughs> for you know ninety nine point nine percent of of aspiring shooters. Uh, and you just, you have to one, get really, really, really good. And two, get really, really lucky. I think too. <laughs> so yeah, no, I think it's definitely, uh, coming together. I think a lot of, uh, the AMU guys, the yeah. uh, army marksmanship unit guys coming out, they, they usually hook up with a factory team yeah. and, uh, get sponsored full time. And, and that's true. That's where you do see a lot of these, uh, full-time shooters coming out. I mean, that's, that's where Max was at one time. Yep. Max uh, and Shane. Julie Golub. 
Joey uh, Golub. Yeah. Casey, UCBO. Yep. Travis Tomasi. Yep. 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 So yeah, there you go. If you want to, if you want to be employed as a shooter in this industry, go join the AMU, which that's not exactly that easy either, <laughs> but that's where <laughs> no. you, that'd be a great place to, to, to go for, go after. Yeah. Uh, if you're over 15 years old, I guess the ship has pretty much sailed on that. <laughs> just, just realize that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, anyway, cool. So, uh, I, I'd like to ask so you, me, Oh yeah. I go. just want to say something about the summit. Okay. Cause a lot, if, if some of your listeners, viewers, don't know about the summit and it's been a while or they're new to you. I just want to explain it. I don't know if you're going there or not with that question, but uh, so when you go to the summit, it is the summit runs from the 25th to December 1st. And you got to think of it like you're going to a conference. Like if you're going to a conference, uh, you know, you got a, a daily schedule of different, you know, speakers you want to go see. Well, the way it works is each day, different videos are going to go up with different speakers and those are going to be playing for 24 hours after that it goes away so the whole week you know you pick and choose who you want to see if at the end of it or you just can't make any of the sessions or you're like you know what i want to keep this thing think of it like a book so you can walk away with the summit so for to get the all access pass and that's what it's called you get an all access pass that means from day one you can watch whatever videos you want when you want how many times you want it's lifetime access it's 1995. So it's just like a book. Mm -hmm. And all the other summits were the same way. Uh, so that's how it is. You know, it's free to watch. If you're not interested, you're not interested. But if you want to keep it or you just want to want it right away, plus with uh, the Oxus Pass, there's some bonuses that come along with it. You get a podcast version. So if you want to listen to it uh, as a podcast, there's audio files. If you want to download those audio files to uh, your computer, you can do that. Also, this year, there's something new where we're having the drills. So each of the mm. speakers this year came up with one drill that they thought was very beneficial to them and beneficial to their students uh, on their path to making Grandmaster. And it was funny. I had no parameters with what drill to use. Uh, everyone came up with pretty much a different drill, which is very cool. Mm. So uh, you'll get uh, the diagrams for those drills and the videos for those drills as well. That's cool. I like that. I love drills. Yeah. Yeah, at the end of the day, you're going to have like 20 drills to, to use. Mm. Awesome. Awesome. Exciting stuff. Yeah. A lot of bonuses. So the, the, so yeah, I'm glad you made that distinction too, because it may not have been apparent uh, right from the get go that yes, go to shootersummit.com and view the different uh, sessions, you know, like when that, within that 24 hour window uh, and just go watch. Uh, but it's really not asking a lot. I mean, like you're, the price is so reasonable. I think Arik, uh, you know, basically 20 bucks and we have a coupon code for podcast listeners, by the way, uh, knock off a couple of bucks, get the all access pass, get all the bonuses and be able to view all that stuff for, for life. Yeah. It's really, really, really great vid, uh, value. So, uh, I'll just go ahead and throw it out again. Shootersummit.com forward slash Riley. And uh, get signed up and and do the all access pass. It's not a lot. It's really not. I mean, I I buy books all the time. I, I love books. You see my bookshelf right over here. Lots of books. You know, books are twenty bucks, thirty bucks a pop all the time. Twenty bucks for hours and hours and hours of really really valuable, interesting interviews on how to become a much much better shooter than where you currently are now. Yeah, it's worth it. So, um, the I'll coupon. Yeah, oh, coupon. Yeah, thank you for reminding me. Concealed carry. Just type in concealed carry for the coupon code. I'll knock off, what is it, 10%? 10%. Yeah. So there you go. Guys, you should go do that. 
So I wanted to ask you a couple of questions. Uh, so back to the dry fire practice or dry practice uh, topic that we were kind of on a little bit ago. You mentioned that some of these awesome shooters, I mean, they're spending hours doing dry fire. What What is like, besides the time, what would you say is something that's that, that you've learned that you think is really impactful as it relates to dry fire or dry practice that you've learned uh, through all these different interviews? Well, it was interesting because I wanted to know myself what, people were dry firing. So there's dry fire books that are out there. Uh, you can do a search on Amazon. You can find them. Yep. And the majority of these guys were doing things that I didn't think that they would do. I, I, I've been told, you know, you know, once you get the draw down, you don't need to do it. These guys were doing hours of draws, mm -hmm. right? So we're getting back into that level of participation. They knew that they, okay, so if you look at the classifier, like you said, it's, it's, it's a predetermined stage you know what it is. You can set it up yourself. And what these guys did, they, 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 each of them looked at it and said, well, what do I need to do? How long do I need to do it? Yeah. So they, they took the times and said, okay, well, in order for me to do this, I need a, a sub one second draw. So they would work the draws and draws and draws. And they do that for like an hour, just draws. I mean, think about it. That's a lot. Um, yeah. Hundreds of draws with, in an hour. Yeah. Hundreds. Hundreds. And then you're doing that every day. Mm -hmm. And then they would go to the range and then they would do it again. Now, this time though, they're doing it with live rounds because, you know, there's always going to be a little bit of a difference between live and dry. So they have to work on that. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, come back and same thing with the reloads. Most of the classifiers have a reload component, especially if you're shooting production. Mm -hmm. All right. So now you got to do those reloads. You got to smoke that reload. If, if you're going for a GM level, uh, classifier, any mistake is going to cost it. If you have a, a screwed up reload, it's going to cost it. If you have, you know, a Delta. So, you know, if you're looking at the scoring for uh, USPSA, they got the alpha zone, they got the Bravo zone, or actually they got rid of that. They got the Charlie zone and they got the Delta zone. If you get a Delta, that's it. The guys who are doing it at 95% or better, they're getting two alphas. So yep. th these little things, so they would work on that draw. They would work on those reloads. They'd work on that transition speed. They'd work on hand speed. And uh, so that's some of the stuff that I started to incorporate now. You know, that's, you know, I, I was putting dry practice in, but I didn't realize how much. Because I'd start doing like every little thing. Like, oh, I want to work on this. I want to work on that. I want to work on this. I'm like, well, no, I'm just going to focus on draws for now. And, and get that sub-second draw. Cool. Wow. That's interesting to me because I, I probably... I'm probably guilty, or at least I, that's how I, I have thought about it, is that I'm probably guilty of spending a lot of time working on draws. Because <laughs> it's like one of the easiest things for me to practice. Uh, uh, I've got a holster here. I've got a gun that fits that holster that I can either make safe or uh, a lot of times I carry a Glock. So a cert pistol fits the same holster, basically the same gun. And I, I do a lot of draws. <laughs> but but I like it. And, and uh, I can consistently shoot you know, we demonstrate it in a lot of the classes I teach too. Like I can consist, it, it's not hard for me to shoot sub, sub one second, you know, one shot, um, you know, on demand, like over and over, you know, but I spent a lot of time working on that. Could I spend more time on maybe some other things? Yeah, totally. <laughs> so, um, so I'm glad to, to hear that I, I'm doing good on the draws probably, but uh, what are some of the other things that stand out to you as far as some of these master, grandmaster level shooters 
uh, with uh, dry practice? Well, not just the, the dry practice, but it was the, the mental management. So a lot of these guys who are uh, doing really well, they've gotten their mental manage, management down almost perfect. And they, they, they admitted that. They said when they first started, they were having all sorts of issues, right? And that's common for everybody. Because when you're at the classifier, it's not just a lot of people don't think of it as just a stage. They put extra value into it because, oh, like I'm on, I'm on B and I want to make A or I'm on A and I want to make master. So you're, you're putting this value to it and you end up, you know, I've seen people who visibly are shaking before the classifier. Yeah. You know, and it's, it's, it's maybe 12 rounds. It's pressure. For, it's just another stage, but they put pressure on. Mm-hmm. So they, these guys started working on their mental management. And once they've fixed their mental problems, not just like, you know, the bipolarism, I'm just saying like <laughs> their mental match problems, then they excelled. Yeah. And especially the guys up at the world champion, because I had a couple world champions on this, they really got that mental stuff down because they're talking about mental pressure when you're in a world match. Uh, you know, these guys were coming back from, uh, from France, from Italy, you know, Josh, he's won the shotgun, the world, you know, he's world champion. Yep. They got that mental stuff down. And uh, that's what you got to do. And you're not always going to shoot a world match, but you're going to face problems during the day. Right. And how do you react to it? Are, are little problems being magnified? That starts to show in your match performance. You know, you, you're, you're, you're shooting in the sun and you know it's not perfect for you is that going to freak you out or you're just going to keep going you know so little things like that so that you know yeah. i'm trying to work on that as well yeah you know i was thinking about it i, I think uh it's interesting you know in, in one's personal journey as they're working like, you know someone that really takes shooting uh seriously like they're really trying to go somewhere with it uh when we first get started a lot of times especially in competitive shooting uh we don't we don't know what we don't know so there's a lot of things that we probably could be worrying about, but we're not uh, because we just don't know <laughs> some of those things. And so the the pressure maybe is is focused on other things. Like you're you're worried about like just can I just make it through this match and not DQ myself or something, right? But then as you get a little bit better, a little bit better, then you're like starting to actually think a lot more strategically. Uh, you're thinking about stage plans a lot more specifically. Uh, you're analyzing yourself. You know, so I, I this is what I've. I guess basically I'm describing myself. This might be my own kind of journey that at first it's like, I'm just showing up and having fun, you know, like, okay. And then you start actually taking it seriously. And then like the, the mental game really starts kicking in because it gets really, really rough uh, for me, especially like I can attribute most of my mistakes. Like where I'm at right now is 98% of the time. It's like, it's mental type stuff, you know? And so that's where I'm starting to put, a lot more of my focus on is I, I want to have the mental fortitude and focus uh, of a Josh Freilich, for instance. Like you, you, you mentioned him. I mean, he won the world shoot shotgun shoot. It was amazing. Uh, won the Nash, PCC nationals or came close basically. I mean, to me, it's still a winner. It's still like, so, I mean, it was really, really close. I mean, second place. Um, phenomenal performance from from guys like him and Max. And we're talking about Max Leo Grandis and also Max Michelle, I mean, who just at the time again and again and again can show up at these uh, national level championships and just put out. So 
what are some of the big takeaways? Like as you're interviewing and talking to someone about mindset and mental strength, what what stands out to you? Well, I just want to say this, and I'm going to plug my episode with Lanny Basham on the Firearms Nation podcast. That was about a month ago, a month and a half ago. You know, Lanny, if you're not familiar with him, he wrote this book with Winning in Mind. And his story, you know, I'm not going to divert too much into his story, but he went to the Olympics and he was the the world champion already. He went to the Olympics. He had beaten his training partner many times, so he knew he had the gold. When he got up for his gold medal run and he was shooting a rifle, he he choked and walked away with the silver, and that bothered him. Mm-hmm. And so he came up with a mental program. So the next time he went up there, of course, he was the world champion, and then he won the gold medal. And then he wanted to bring that type of mental stuff to everybody. That's That's been his mission now. And he said he talked to hundreds of gold medalists and asked them the same thing. How much is the mental game in your sport? And they all said about 95% mental. He said, well, how much practice do you give to it? About 5%. Mm-hmm. So he always found that dichotomy, that dichotomy of... It's most of the stuff that we do is a lot of mental stuff behind it, but we don't spend, we'd rather be doing more physical stuff because that's easier to do. So once these guys were able to fix that mental problem, then they started to really excel. And then it's easier to stay at that level because, you know, you go to a match and say you're shooting against Josh uh, Freilich or even Max Leongrandis and you're a PCC guy and you're like, oh. They're there. Well, okay, maybe maybe I'll come in third. Maybe, you know, you already you already gave up. Yeah. What you were, you know, your your points to somebody you didn't even shot the first round yet. Well, it well, doesn't well, have to be shooting. It could be well, any sport. Let's talk about that a little bit. I mean, for instance, like, I don't know, like, what what? How do you approach a match like that? For instance, I go to you know a number of uh, major three gun matches each year. You know, where the Mitchellicks are there. The you know, Josh Freilich may be there, right? You know, uh, Adam Maxwell, uh, you know, some of these these top guys in the three-gun scene. Um, and there's many, many others I, you know, have failed to mention here. But, uh, like, I don't go – I don't show up at one of those matches expecting to win it. Like, I'm not going there with a mindset of, yeah, I, I got this, you know? Like, <laughs> but it's same – So uh, I guess what I'm saying is, like, how do you approach it? And I think for me where I'm focusing is I just want to be – as best as, as, as good as I can do. Right. And if something stumbles me along the way, which it will, because I, my, my skill set is not totally there yet. So at some point I will have a stumbling block, right? Uh, a particular stage may not go so great, uh, whatever it may be. So, okay. Don't let that drag me down. Don't let that, you know, affect the rest of the match. For instance, that's like, that's where my focus is right now. Um, how would you, I mean, what would you add to that? Well, you got to go, you have to know ahead of time why you're going to the match. Right. Right. If, if you're at that level where you're going to the match and you know, you're going to be in contention to win it. Well, you know, you need to act accordingly. And if you're going to that match and you know that you could be winning it and you haven't been putting the time in and practice to win it, you know, don't be surprised if the guy who's also in contention to win it who's been practicing more than you, who's been thinking about it and, and hungry for it comes up and he's ready and you're not, you don't win, right? That There's always that. So you just got to know why you're coming in. If you're going in and you know you're going to be somewhere in the middle of the pack, well then find something else that, you know, like sometimes I go, I'm looking for my division. 
So, you know, I'm shooting a class. So I'm looking to compete against all the other. I'm not competing against the GMs. Right. I'm competing against, even though we're all lumped together, I'm competing against the other people in a class. These are guys that either at the same level of me or they're GMs who don't want to classify up. <laughs> but they, want, they want to win all the prizes. Right. They, they call it sandbagging. Totally. Uh, so they're, you're, but you're competing yeah. in there. Or you yeah. can go to the match and compete against yourself. You know, they don't want to go to the match and not make any mistakes this time. Or I want to have right. a good match where I shoot 95% of all the points or something like that. Yeah. yeah that's an interesting point, you know, especially where I'm at in uh, out here in the West, especially with three gun. Like most of our matches are outlaw matches, as we call them, right? Not sanctioned necessarily by a particular organization. They're not three gun nation. Although we do have a new organization out here, uh, the United States or United Shooting Sports League, uh, USSL, which has the UML as a subsidiary of that, the United Multigun League, which is trying to start standardizing things a little bit out here, which is which is fine. I think it's cool. I support their efforts. But uh, what, where I'm going with that is that it's a good point that in USPSA or IDPA or some of these that have uh, classes of shooters, like you can be a little bit more focused on this is where I'm at. These are my people. I, I'm trying to become, you know, awesome, you know, a class. Um, and, and, and once you get it, get to a point where you're kind of coming out of the top tier of your a class, uh, then maybe it's, you know, start, time to start stepping up and, and looking up higher. But out here, you know, we don't have a lot of classifications for, for shooters. It's, you're all in together. You're, you're focused on like, I want to, I want to try to get past like 10th place in, you know, tack ops division or whatever, you know, that sort of thing. Like that's probably, no, I mean, that's always a, a good, yeah way to approach a match is all right so i came in 10th last year i want to make you know at least top five or i came in 50th last year i'd like to be you know 40th and above you know there's always yeah. something to shoot the match for and then but while you're shooting the match you can't be thinking about that no 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 thinking about winning you can't <laughs> be thinking so about it, right you know, right there's, there's some most of the guys yeah. they always talk about you know just pick calling your shots as yep. your, your, your plan and just stick yep. to that. Yeah. Yeah. But make your plan and, and shoot your plan. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm with you there. That is, uh, I, I try to use where I finished up as, as the measuring, measuring stick, like to over time I can see, yep, yep. I'm doing a little better. A little, I'm, I'm moving my way up that totem pole, so to speak. But the match plan is, yeah, don't make any mistakes. Uh, don't, if I do make a mistake, and, and that's actually, so that's an interesting dichotomy right there for me personally is I want to shoot this match and not have any mistakes, Arik. So what happens when I have one mistake? Oh, you know, because like that was, that was the goal and now you didn't accomplish the goal. So that goal has to start like changing a little bit to, we're going to try not to make any mistakes, but if there's a mistake, the goal is don't let it throw off the rest of that, of that stage or the rest of that match. And, uh, yeah, that, that's, I see that in my own performance that I'll have like two, two stages that'll be awesome. And then a stage that sucks and then two that are awesome. And then a state, you know, like there's like a lot of this up, up and down, up and down. And I go back and I look at those stages that are really poor and it's because something went wrong in that stage and I let it just screw up the rest of the stage, you know, minimize the mistake in this, you know, in the moment, like, okay, made the mistake, move on. And I'd probably see a little bit of a dip, but not like this, like up, you know, 10,000 foot and then like down to, you know, sea level type, you know, thing. Anyway. You so. know, I think it was, it was, I'm going to say it was Ben Stoger 
I'm not 100% on this, so don't quote me, but I think he won nationals one year where he didn't win any of the stages. Mm. Yes. He did not win I think any I, of the stages. That sounds familiar. And But he still won because he was just consistent in doing and getting the points, doing and getting yeah. the points and doing and getting the points and he won. I've seen that in, in major matches where you see that guy that just, you know, uh, in fact, I was trying to think. It was one of the AMU shooters, actually. I don't remember exactly which one at this uh, this Wyoming Governor's match, actually, that I mentioned earlier, that uh, ended up winning that division. But I don't think he won really any of the stages. Maybe he won one of them, but there were like 10 stages, right? Uh, but he just, you know, consistently the second or third best shooter on each stage. Consistently, 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 you know, just so consistent and predictable. And uh, all the rest of us were. <laughs> up and down, up and down. So, you know, and that's another thing that a lot, to the top. Top, a lot of these top guys say is that you got to be consistent. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Cool. Good stuff there, man. Okay. Mindset or, or mental prep and mental, uh, I, I like to think of it as mental strength, mental um, strength, fortitude. Yeah. Fortitude. Um, it's, it's, it's really a challenging thing now. So let's start kind of crossing over a little bit. Arik, as far as, what, where is some of the crossover into the tactical side of things? A lot of my audience is tactical, more tactical focused. So we've been talking a lot about competitive shooting up to this point. And, and it's cool because I would, and I've said it before on the podcast, if you get the inkling, if you even think you're mildly interested in shooting a, a competition, I say go do it, right? Even if it's just for fun, just go do it. Because when I first started really getting into competitive shooting, it made me want to do better all around. And so even when I'm trying to perform in a tactical context, I perform at a higher level now than I did, you know, years ago. And, and so what I have seen in my own journey in competitive shooting is that I'm, I'm better everywhere else. I am being constantly cautious of not letting maybe some of the things like, okay, so we had a student in a class, uh, once actually it's happened more than once, but I'm thinking of one individual in particular, nothing, nothing meant about them. And I'm not obviously throwing them, they're throwing their name out or anything like that. But consistently I told him over and over and over again, this was a, you know, concealed carry or defensive handgun type class. And consistently he would clear his gun, dry, you know, dry fire, drop the hammer or, 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 you know, whatever he is a striker fired gun. So, so he'd clear his gun, press the trigger, stick it in his holster. I'm like, please don't do that. Please, please. Please. <laughs> I'm like, you, the first time he did, I'm like, you shoot competitively, don't you? Yes. I'm like, please. I don't want to see, like, I, I hate that aspect <laughs> of competitive shooting arc. Uh, so, like, that's like one thing I'm consistently like making sure that I, I'm not letting seep into my own, uh, uh, what do you call it? Like, me like muscle memory sort of, you know, your, your, right? Your subconscious skill. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah thank you. Um, because... I see it happen with some people, right? They shoot a lot of competition and then some of those things just become automatic because that, that's the routine. So I've tried to, you know, you get to the end of a stage and if the shooter is finished, unload, show clear, drop the hammer or hammer forward or hammer down, whatever, right? And holster, right? And I, I tried to actually separate mentally the, that process from everything else that I do. It's just simply like I get done shooting a stage and I try to stop and they'll say, if the shooter's finished, I'll pause a lot of times, like just pause. And I'm actually scanning, looking at my targets, like, did I get the targets? I got them all. I, I feel pretty good. All right. And then like, meanwhile, the RO is like, come on, man. 
And then he's, you know, telling me to unload, show clear. And then I try to separate that out and okay, all right, I'm unloading, showing clear. That's just a that's just an administrative thing. Not has nothing to do with what I just did. It that's just administrative, right? Like so, I have to men- make that mental uh, break for me to uh, keep it separate from everything else that I that I try to do and and, and stay focused on you know from a mindset uh, of, of tactical you know of a tactical nature. Anyway, so uh, I'm curious what your thoughts are on that. I know you're you're, you're a cop. You're also a very uh, skilled uh, competitive shooter. So how do you keep it separate? Where, where it's important or where it counts. And then how do you also allow the crossover to occur where it's appropriate? I haven't really seen any, I guess, call them training scars, mm-hmm. where you're, you're doing something, I guess the, the biggest fear people have, oh, you're going to be, you know, shooting not from cover. Okay. Uh, the targets that I'm shooting in competition aren't shooting back at me. And I right. know that. Right. So I'm not shooting from cover. Does it make a difference? I, there's never been a case of someone who's a competitive shooter who has exposed himself, you know, to, from cover, not the other way, and uh, gotten hit. It's never happened. And a lot of the the you know tier one guys, you know, like the Mike Pannons, the Kyle Lambs, they all say the same thing. They say that you know when you're in competition, you're in competition. When you're you know you're in the the crap, you know you're in the crap. You know that there's no like, oh God, you know, I got to drop the mag and not worry about it. No, they know what they're doing. They're, they're very consciously aware of the environment that they're in. So it's either competition or they're in a gunfight. And these guys all use the competition as a, a way to increase that stress because there's very few artificial ways to simulate a gunfight. You can do force on force, which is close. You know, you got the... It takes a lot of pain. planning and preparation, and there is a risk factor. Right. Um, yeah. But what I've seen from doing lots of force on force, and there's no way getting around it, people will hide behind barriers that in a real world environment are not going to stop a bullet. You know, glass being the easiest one. The mm-hmm. sim isn't going through the glass, or the, the marking cartridge is not going through the glass. Bullets are going to go through that glass very fast. Mm-hmm. So that's the that's primary difference. It gives people a false sense of what will happen. The other thing is, is doing competition, whether you, you know, you get that buzzer where you're competing against yourself or you're competing, but it's better when you're in front of people. It's better when you're trying to win something because now you're upping the stress level and you're using a, a, a firearm that's shooting a real bullet. Now, obviously it's probably not a factory round, you know, it's like a full defensive load, but you're still getting that skill set, that muscle memory of, engaging targets, transitioning, finding other targets, finding more work. Your gun goes down. You're more aware of it. And then it's the, the, the biggest thing of all is the gun handling. You get you know, all that dry fire, all that competition, you're going to get so much better at gun handling. Now, there, I know plenty of guys who don't compete, who strictly do drills. Uh, they're tactical guys. And they do great at gun handling as well. It's just not the same. Because when you're under stress of that competition – Things are going wrong, right? Things are going wrong. Mags fall out, you know, load gets, you get a squib load. Who knows what? So all these things happen. That's why uh, they, they like that stress. So, you, you know, you look at all the, like I said, Delta Force, CLT, and Delta Force sounds really corny, but you know, <laughs> Delta unit, whatever, the unit, CAG, all these things, right? The, right. All these guys are in, uh, implementing competition simply because it makes them better. Yep. 
Yeah, yeah. So that's the crossover that I found is that once yeah. I started competing, my my shooting skills got so much better. I think, uh, yeah, and and I agree that the shooting skills you see dramatic improvements for for most people, especially early on. Uh, there's a much greater risk, I think, and I think there's cops that get shot and even killed all the time in this country whose skills are probably not where they ought to have been. Are there tactical errors sometimes? Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. Like, there's definitely tactical errors that get guys killed. Are there times where the tactical error could be minimized if they could get hits, good, accurate hits on target very quickly? Yes. And there's times where we see tactical errors made and shooting errors made, and that's that's that almost never plays out well for for the cop making or the person making those errors. If you look at, at the shootings, we can see so many shootings now, yeah. law enforcement shootings. If you look at them and you look at the ones that have gone bad, where there's bad decisions, it's a lot of the decision-making because under stress, you know, they're, they're in the white zone. You know, they're, the, the blood has just gone from everything into their eyes. They're not prepared for it. And that's where competition will help you. Even from a home defense perspective, and you're going to be thrust into this life or death situation where you got to make decisions at a split second. And you're doing that every weekend or maybe twice a week in competition. You're putting yourself under stress where you're identifying things. You're, you're shooting moving targets. You're shooting on the move. You're not going to do that dry. And you're, you're, it's, it's very hard to do in a drill and get that same type of response. Yeah. And those are the ones that you see the ones that go bad. It's, it's a very bad decision or bad gun handling. Sometimes they, they had their finger on the trigger when they weren't supposed to. You know, things like that happen. So that's where I, you know, I, where, I, where I was, I was stressing competition. And a lot of people took it. And it was hard for cops. It's probably hard for a lot of people because you go out there and then you get smoked, mm-hmm. right? You go out there that first oh, it's time. it's a big time ego check for sure. It's a huge ego, ego check. And you're like, you know, I thought I was fit and this guy is shooting 10 seconds faster than me and he's so much bigger than me. How is that possible? Well, it's because yeah. you can shoot faster and you can make decisions faster and transition faster. Yeah. I, I think the uh, mistake as far as that people make in the argument, you do see the, and I see these in forums all the time, uh, Facebook, especially where you have the competition guys and the tactical guys. And they're going like this, you know, just bashing heads against each other. And, yep. And, and Gamers I'm, and Timmies. Yeah. Right. And, uh, my, my favorite, uh, phrase to call the competition folks is the, uh, uh, the, the shooting, you know, golfers or the, uh, bullet golfers or, you know, something along those lines. Never heard that. <laughs> oh yeah. I've seen, been seeing that uh, recently. I, someone coined that phrase and I thought it was pretty funny. You know, it's shooting, but like golf. <laughs> anyway. Think about it. I mean, look, I always <laughs> thought that shooting ranges and golf ranges are very similar. You know, you're outside. Yep. You're in, it's an individual type yep. sport and you're on these beautiful, I mean, the golf ranges obviously are a little yeah. bit nicer. Uh, but I mean, look, I, that's my favorite, my favorite thing. One of the, I mean, there's a lot of favorite things I have in life, <clears throat> but <laughs> one of my favorite things is when I'm on the range and I'm practicing and like, I'm in a bay by myself. It's a beautiful day. It's just, you just get such a great feeling from doing that. I mean, I, oh, yeah. I wish more people would do it and enjoy yeah. it. Yeah. And I, I take no offense at being called a bullet golfer or whatever you want to call it. <laughs> uh, it's, Hey, it's fun, you know, but, uh, uh, you know, I think the mistake that's made is in, in, in the thought process is, you know, when you have a, a cop or a military dude, you know, a, a tactical person show up at their first match and they get blown away a lot of times. You, you see some that 
are just naturally skilled and they've obviously, re, you know, refined their craft and they'll make some, you know, maybe some transitional or, or movement type mistakes, uh, you know, stage plan mistakes. Those are easily, you know, uh, addressed for them. But, um, but they show up my first match. Yeah. It was, it was an ego check for sure. You're just like, wow. And the mistake that's made is thinking that, well, those guys are just going so fast because they're not a, you know, if this was a real world thing, they'd just be getting themselves shot up all, all over the place. Cause you know, they're not real targets. They're not shooting back at the same time. It's like, well, why, if you're so awesome as a tactical shooter, why can't you shoot these simple cardboard targets really fast? Right. You know, like I kind of like to throw it the other way and, and I, I'm able to see both sides cause I'm a very tactically minded person and I sure. really love the competition side of things as well. And so it's like, you know what? It's, it's, it is two different worlds. But in the competition world, I'm really focused on. I want I want those gun handling skills to be as automatic as possible. Uh, I'm still having to make decisions, you know, when I'm shooting a stage on the fly. I think that's an, a very valuable skill, uh, where you know things are are going very quickly. Sometimes the pre- pressure is amped up, and then something surprises you or doesn't go the way you expect it to, and now all of a sudden on the fly, you know, a, a malfunction is a great example. We all have them, especially if you shoot, a, you know, if you shoot a lot, if you shoot a lot of competition, you will have at some point a, a malfunction, and uh, that's a great test right there to see how you handle that on the fly, under pressure, on the clock. Uh, yeah, you see people fumble those big in a big way. They're like, "Oh, my gun! Oh, stop working!" You know, me, caveman. I, you know, like it just the brain just shuts down. You know, how do I fix this? You know, sometimes it takes a few seconds to realize what's going on, and then maybe they they work their way through it. But uh, then you then you know you get you have enough of those opportunities. You work on those skills. Uh, you, you refine. You hone, and then one day you have a malfunction on the range on the clock under pressure and you clear it just like you're supposed to. And it happens automatically and you go, huh? Wow. Yeah. That's, that's, that's a good feeling to have that realization that the skills are going where you want them to go. And for me, it's all about putting the skill in the subconscious. Let me ask you a question. Yeah. All right. With all your studies and whatnot that you do so greatly on your, on your site and your show, if somebody gets into a gunfight, the person who usually shoots first and hits is the winner? Yeah, I'd say it's, yeah. Yeah, he who wins is he who places accurate shots on target first, generally speaking. Yep. I mean, that's a pretty strong hypothesis, and that's the whole basis of competition is performance on demand. Yep. And you're never going to have more of a demand when you're, in a gunfight for your life or the life of someone you care about. And you have that skill set. You know, I'd, I'd be wary of some of these top competitive shooters. You don't want to get in a gunfight with them. Yeah. You're going to have four or five rounds in you before you even get the gun out of the holster. Yeah. Well, and I've always said that it, I think it's far easier to take. I know that there are those that would disagree with me, but I think it's far easier to take a top tier, you know, shooter that has no knowledge of tactics and then teach them those tactics and have them execute. Like, I think that person will perform, will all, all, almost always, like, for instance, if you, if, this would be a great thing to do. I think it would, be, it would be a fun experiment to do. This would, like, get I've both seen it. the I know competitive where you're going. I'm telling, I, I, you've seen I've it? I've seen it. Okay, I, I want to hear your... A, it, it, was, it was a range uh, in Florida. I don't okay. want to see who it was. I don't have permission to do it. But it was uh, SF unit. Okay. I don't say which one, but it was an SF unit. So guys that are class. real heavy on tactics. Oh yeah. 
And, and, and typically they shoot very well too. The SF guys, Yes, they right? do. Yep. They were very good and they're great on tactics and they move. And the the guy who was hosting the range, the range owner threw in, it's a top level GM into the class. And he doesn't know anything about tactics. None at all. Smoked every one of them on everything. Mm. Wow, that's and interesting. even even in, in some shoot house scenario stuff. Well, that, yeah, that, that's what I think would be really fascinating. You take someone that is like the computer programmer that decided to pick up shooting on the weekends and becomes mm-hmm. really, really good at it. And then you take, you know, a Delta guy. Now, Delta guys are pretty awesome too. But, but still, take somebody that's like heavy in tactics and then take the computer programmer, teach him tactics and he has amazing shooting skills and put him up against the other guy that you try to teach, you know, like in other words, in the same time, same period of time, you could teach the guy, the shooter, the tactics much faster and have them pick that up. Then you can teach someone to really become an awesome shooter because it yep. takes time to become an awesome shooter. Yep. Right. 100%. So I think in a lot of those cases, you'd see that shooter that's now been taught the tactics elevate themselves very quickly in terms of that performance level and probably win you know, like they're head to head now in a force on force. And I think more often than not, you see the really, really good shooter. That's just learned some tactics come out on top. Yeah. Not to say and, that we uh, shouldn't put time and focus on tactics. No, just it's so much harder to develop these high level shooting skills than what people yes. think or realize a lot of times. And again, that's why the tier one units all went to competitive shooters to learn how to shoot fast and accurate. Oh, yeah. Yeah. How often has uh, Rob Latham or, or Seeklander or mm-hmm. you know, some of these guys been contracted to go teach? Uh, well, yeah, yeah. They, they do that all the time. So uh, good stuff, man. Uh, I just want to say, uh, I just want to wrap it up because I, I have to yep. to run. Yep. But I, I thank your audience for, for entertaining me today. And thank you for having me on, Riley. It's always a pleasure talking with you. Remember, guys, the summit's from November 25th through December 1st. Uh, go ahead, sign up. You can register for it starting today, shootersummit.com slash Riley. And uh, that way, Riley gets tagged. Anything that you do, we know it's coming from his great, awesome group from Concealed Carry. He's doing he's doing the yeoman's work here for getting the knowledge out on Concealed Carry. But thank you all very much. And uh, I hope to see you on the Firearms Nation podcast as well. Yeah. And, and Arik, thank you for uh, talking to us as long as you have. Time flies by and and uh, really appreciate you for for doing this, coming on our show again. So folks, uh, head on over to Shooter Summit, shootersummit.com forward slash Riley. Once again, get signed up for uh, for that. Make sure you don't miss a moment starting on the 25th. Uh, definitely recommend. I, I, I've learned so much just watching your past sessions. And one last call out to uh, the for the Black Friday sale starting next, well, Thanksgiving night. Uh, concealedcarry.com forward slash Black Friday. Uh, make sure you don't miss that either. A lot of uh, Arik, you know, I'd say, hey, you're welcome to participate. Uh, Got to be a Garden Nation member, buddy. But uh, <laughs> but Thank seriously, you. folks, uh, uh, se- holiday, everybody. every one of our doorbusters are minimum 75% off. Some of the stuff you're basically getting for almost free. So, so go check it out. And uh, yeah, so once again, and I think Arik's bugging out and that's totally cool. Thanks again. I'll wrap up the show here. Uh, so, folks, great interview, great uh, opportunity to talk here with Arik, and uh, I hope that you'll uh, get a lot of this episode here today. Let's uh, wrap it up here with a reminder to train right, train often, and train safe so you can fight hard, fight fast, and fight true. Take care. Take care.
that laws vary from place to place, and we encourage listeners to seek local legal advice to understand applicable laws. The Concealed Carry Podcast, Concealed Carry Inc., ConcealedCarry.com, and their affiliates strive to share insights and stories about firearm-related incidents and laws, but things could be different where you live, or laws may have changed by the time you listen to this. We cannot be held liable for your actions based on the information shared in this podcast.